Galatians chapter 1. Our theme for the year is light, with us being light. And then the book of Galatians, our title for our series is Living as Light. How are we going to live as light in the world? And I'll tell you, when I think about this idea that God has placed us here to be witnesses of Him, man, that's a great responsibility, isn't it? How many of you know someone that's not born again? You know someone, and you know for sure they're, they're just lost. Um, that's a great responsibility that we have, isn't it? It's a, it's a tremendous burden and a weight on us. So how are we going to accomplish what God has told us to accomplish? Well, remember what Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. God works in us to give us the desire and He also places in us the ability to do His will. That's what the book of Galatians is about. So as we study the book of Galatians, if you remember when we did Philippians, we spent several years in Philippians and uh, don't laugh, I think we did. Um, <clears throat> we, we had a definition for, for joy. The theme of the book of Philippians was how to have joy through the mind of Christ. And we had a definition for joy. And our definition was that joy is the deep and abiding understanding that regardless of the circumstances of life, all is well between the believer and his Lord. That's joy. Well, Galatians, there are three things that we need to remember. And I'm going to try to remind you of these at the beginning of every one of these messages there are three key thoughts that we need to have from the book of Galatians. And they are errors. <laughs> three significant errors. That is why the book of Galatians was written. Three errors. The first error is me saying that I can be saved by works. Well, all through this book, we find out that salvation is by grace. If it's, if it's by grace, then it's no more of works. And we learned last week from Abraham Booth. He wrote in 1768 that grace implies unworthiness. And the more worthy that I believe I am, the less grace there is. This is not an even exchange where I provide something for God and He gives me eternal life. I'm completely unworthy. That's what grace is. I don't deserve it at all. That's what grace is. Grace is the opposite of works. That's what we learned last week. So the first significant error is I can be saved by works. The second significant error is I can keep my salvation by my works. That, that is, the significant error is that I can be saved by grace, but then I have to live a certain way in order for God to allow me to keep my salvation. That's a significant error. Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made righteous by the flesh? Oh, foolish Galatians. That's the second significant error. The third, now, now here at Grace Baptist, we don't really struggle with the first error. Because we constantly teach salvation by grace through faith alone. Amen? We don't really struggle too much with the second error, that you can lose your salvation if you don't live a certain way. 
Now, there are some folks who come to us from a different tradition, and they can still struggle with that. There might be someone in this room, and you're still struggling with that. Well, we'll try and help you with that over and over and over again. And I'll tell you what, things that are ingrained in you as a child and as a young believer, sometimes those things are hard to overcome. Amen? But then this third error is something that I think we struggle with a lot. I know I struggle with it. And that is the third significant error, that I can live out my salvation by my good works. That is that, that I can live, I can be light in my own strength. Well, you know, you can, how many of you have ever really tried to change something about yourself? It's hard, isn't it? I got to change my shape. That's hard, man. All my pants are getting too small. I got that chest and drawers disease. My chest has fallen into my drawers. Right? It's, it's, it's hard to change, man. I'm going to have to. It's, it's, it's a bummer. Jacob, when he was little, he'd walk up and he'd go, squishy. <laughs> so I got to be able to beat him, you know, into the ground when he's a teenager. So I got to get back in shape. It's hard to change. How many of you realized sometime this year that you got to get in shape? Is there anyone here that, that realized that? How you doing? Don't you wish you could make a decision about your weight and you become a new creature? That's what salvation does. That's what God does in us. But I'll tell you, it's tough to change. So let's say that my struggle is... Now, I don't have this struggle, but let's say that my struggle was impatience. If you're a guest, everyone knows that I'm the most impatient person in the world, you know. I can make a cup of coffee nervous. So I struggle with impatience. Well, in my own strength, I can be patient for a little while. But it wears off. Right? How many of you, you have an issue that you deal with that you can control for a period of time. You, you know what I'm talking about? That's not change. That's not change. And the only way that I can be the pastor that God wants me to be, the dad, the husband, the, the follower of Christ, the only way that I can be that person is by grace. That's it. We've talked about it before. We call it the cult of trying harder. We're just going to try and try and try and try until we're out of strength, and then we're right to the place where God wants us. We have to realize the three significant errors. Number one, that I can be saved by my works. Number two, that I can keep my salvation by my works. And number three, that I can live out my salvation by my own works. What I do merits me nothing. That's it. Um, I was praying that my headache would go away the other day. A bad headache. Well, the headache went away. And so I could say to God, okay, that's one less you owe me. 
God, I've served you so long. I don't deserve this. You know, my, my mom is, um, by the way, she doesn't have cancer. Her cancer's not back. I don't know if all of you have heard that. Um, but she has a brain aneurysm, and you know that that's been in place for a while, and they think that it's causing some of the problems that she's dealing with. Well, mom's 73 years old, and she's been in the ministry all of her adult life. My dad, 75 years old, is really struggling right now with shingles, a horrible case of shingles. And I look back at my mom and dad. When, when they, dad had started the church in Wallingford, Connecticut, um, mom had an aunt that died. I can't remember. They called them Auntie May and Auntie Nor. It's a New England thing. Um, and one of those aunts, or one of her great aunts, had died and left her a small inheritance. Well, my parents were so poor, they couldn't afford to pay attention. You know what I mean? I mean they didn't have any money. And they took that money, and they used it to put the down payment on a church building for the new church. So that's kind of cool. How many of you think that's kind of, that's pretty cool? Um, and so, well, mom and dad did that. Why in the world? Doesn't God owe them better than shingles and cancer and brain aneurysm? After all they've done for God, how, doesn't God owe them more than physical suffering in their golden years? Don't they deserve, after all they've done for God for all these years, don't they deserve more than that? Isn't this kind of awkward? No, they don't deserve more than that. They don't deserve another breath. Remember, grace means the recipient is completely unworthy. I can never do anything to pay Christ back for the blessings that He's given me. I can never do anything to place God in a place in a, in a position where He owes me something. So that's our understanding of grace. The three significant errors. So if I'm going to live the Christian life, I have to live it not as if I'm paying God back or as if I am gaining merit with Him so that he owes me something. Here's the idea. If I give my tithe regularly, then God has promised that I'm going to make more money. God, you owe me. Really? Really? Everything I have comes from God. How could God owe me anything? The fact that I take another breath is by God's grace. So the, the scales can never be balanced. The account, the ledger can never be balanced. The only way that that's done is like when Jesus Christ on the cross said, it is finished and made the legal declaration that the debt was paid. That's the only way. So now let's look at Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. And God the Father, who raised Him 
from the dead. Now, I like this right here. We're looking at the Apostle Paul here. The Apostle Paul was the human instrument that God used to pen this book of Galatians. And what he says is he was called by God. What does that mean? Well, it means very simply. Let me use it in my example. My father was a preacher. But my dad did not call me to be a preacher. I'm not a minister of the gospel because it's not the family business. Right? God didn't, uh, my dad didn't call me to be a pastor. This church did not call me to be a pastor. God called me to be a pastor, and then this church called me to be pastor of this particular church. Because God had already called me to be a pastor. God, uh, I did not call Nick to serve the Lord. Amen? So when Nick helps with the music here at the church, or helps with the one, or does these other things that he does, when Nick does those things, he doesn't do those things for me. He doesn't do them for the church. He does them for the Lord. Amen? So Paul was an apostle, not of men, but of God the Father and of the Savior Jesus Christ. Then, look at verse 3. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that this is always the order. All through the New Testament, grace first and then peace. You can't get it turned around because there is no peace without grace. Remember what grace is. Grace is God giving us something that we don't deserve and could never deserve. But the result of that grace is peace. Um, let me read this. I read you some Abraham Booth last week. Let's look at Charles Spurgeon. You all know that I love Charles Spurgeon. He's a pastor in the late 1800s. Brilliant, brilliant man. He could read three or four entire books in one sitting and quote entire chapters from memory. I hate people like that. Just brilliant, brilliant man. But he knew God. And so I'm going to read something about peace that he wrote. And just, just let it kind of wash over you. I know it's hard to listen to somebody read something. But man, this is so good. Listen to what Spurgeon said about peace. What is the peace of God? I would describe it first by saying it is, of course, peace with God. Peace of conscience. Actual peace with the Most High through the atoning sacrifice. Now, the atoning sacrifice was the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made that could be applied to our sin. Okay? So, what is peace? It's peace of conscience. That comes through the atoning sacrifice. Peace with the Most High. Reconciliation. Forgiveness. Restoration to favor. There must be. And the soul must be aware of it. There can be no peace of God apart from justification through the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ received by faith. So here's the idea. There can be no peace until there's justification. Well, what is justification? Justification 
is the legal declaration of God that a person is not guilty. That's justification. That justification comes by grace. And we're going to see that in a minute. Then look at, listen to what Spurgeon says. A man conscious of being guilty. Now, now, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever experienced guilt? Man, it stinks. I hate it. I hate that guilty feeling. When you deal with people all the time, um, you guys probably don't have this, but uh, I'll say, man, why did I say that? I wish I hadn't said that. Or why didn't I say this? Why didn't I take this opportunity to give the gospel? Why didn't I do this better? Guilt. Guilt. Now listen. A man conscious of being guilty can never know the peace of God till he becomes equally conscious of being forgiven. That's peace. It's equal consciousness of your forgiveness to your understanding of your guilt. And that's good. When his consciousness of pardon shall become as strong and vivid as his consciousness of guilt had been, then will he enter into the enjoyment of the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you that have believed in Jesus, there is perfect peace between you and God now. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Your sin was the ground of the quarrel, but it has gone. It has ceased to be. It is blotted out. It is cast into the depth of the sea as far as the east is from the west. So far has He removed our transgressions from us. Our Lord and Master has finished transgression, made an end of sin, and brought in everlasting righteousness. The cause of offense is gone, and gone forever. Jesus hath taken our guilt, hath suffered in our stead, hath made full compensation to the injured law, and vindicated justice to the very highest. And now there is nothing which can excite the anger of God towards us, for our sin is removed. Our righteousness is covered. That, wouldn't you love to have heard Spurgeon actually preach that? Man, it's just, that's so true. It's so powerful. Peace with God comes only from God. Listen to what Alexander McLaren said. McLaren was a contemporary of Spurgeon. And he said this. Jesus Christ said this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. That's the kind of peace that Jesus gives. Listen to what McLaren said. His peace is inseparable from His presence. It comes with Him like an atmosphere. It is never where He is not. So if you don't have Jesus, you don't have peace. If you have Jesus, you can have peace. Because peace always comes to the one who has trusted in Him. But peace can never come to the one who hasn't. It is never where He is not. So grace... And peace, this is what God has given to us. So let's, let's try to get our heads around this from Galatians 1, 3. 
We're saved by grace and justified by grace. Remember what justification is. That's the legal declaration that we're not guilty. Okay? Now, i got to stop right here. Don't miss this. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for the sins of every person that would ever live. Amen? But that doesn't mean every person is saved. Jesus, When Jesus Christ died on the cross... You were rendered savable. Before that time, you couldn't even be saved. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, no one could be saved. All right? So because Jesus Christ died on the cross, you can receive the free gift of eternal life that He is offering you. When you receive that free gift of eternal life, acknowledging His death, Burial and resurrection. When you realize that that's the only way that you can have salvation. And that you need that salvation because you deserve hell. And the only way to get to heaven and have forgiveness of sins is through that shed blood of Jesus Christ. When you acknowledge that, it doesn't matter what words you use. There's not some formula, abracadabra potion. It doesn't matter what words you use. But when you go to Him and you say, Jesus... I can't save myself. Please save me. Forgive me for my sin. I'm trusting only you and your resurrection from the dead for my eternal life. When you get to that point, Jesus Christ, God the Father, they say, not guilty. And do you know that when God looks at me, that's all he'll see until I stand before him is not guilty. Because I have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? If you could see my leg right now. I got a a sore on my leg. That's nice, isn't it? And it's kind of gross. Anybody want to see? Do you know why? Nick said to me earlier today, man, you've got to be the best-dressed preacher in town. Clearance rack, Von Mauer. Now look, you can't see that ugly sore because I'm clothed. And how many of you are glad that I'm clothed today? (laughs) 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 That... I have no righteousness of my own. Nothing. Nothing. But when God sees me, He sees me clothed in the righteousness of His Son. See? So that is justification. That happens by grace. There's no way that I can earn that. That comes from salvation. So we're saved by grace and justified by grace. And the result of receiving this grace is peace with God. Look with me. Let's, let's do a little searching through the Scriptures. Look with me at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Y'all doing okay this morning? Anybody glad you're saved? Amen. I, I know. I, I, was, I actually had a different message prepared for this morning and came in this morning and with, with where everybody is right now, so many things going on. The Lord really impressed me to go this direction. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, you can never have peace until you have the peace of God. That's the only way that you can have that. So when you're justified, because I've been justified, now I have peace with God. We're going to look at what that means here in a minute. But not only can I have peace with God, and I know we're going to hit everyone in the room today. Peace with God. There are some of you that need peace with God. You're not saved. You've never trusted Jesus Christ alone. You have to be saved. You must be born again. Because God is not happy with you. The Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. You've got to have peace with God by being saved. But not only after I'm saved, not only can I have peace with God, I can have peace with others. Look at the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 13. But now, you know what? You've got to get verse 11. It's so good. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, so that you're just not Jews, by them which are called the circumcision in the flesh made with hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens. Some of the young guys just woke up. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See, there was a time when the rest of the world had no hope because they didn't know Jesus. And God was working through Israel. And if you didn't come to God through Israel and through what God was doing there, there was no hope. Is that what the text is saying? Yeah, but now look at what it says. But now... In Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Those that were far away from God are now brought close to God by the blood of Jesus. Now look at verse 14. Okay, now let's stop right there. Anybody here saved? Okay, we just described you and me. That, so this is talking about us. This is the person with your socks on. Okay, now look at verse 13 or verse 14. For he, Jesus Christ, is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Okay, so we've talked about you can have the peace of God, peace with God, Romans 5.1, but now you can have peace with others. There was a distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. Now there's not. There was a distinction in races. Now there's not. You can have peace with others. There is no one that you should have hatred in your heart toward because God is your peace. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to have you raise your hand. How many of you have someone that you just honestly can't get along with? Would you raise your hand? How many of you at your mother in law? No, don't, don't raise your hand on me. I told a mother in law joke in Sunday school. That's hilarious, man. I can't tell it up here. Some of you get mad at me. 
Um, do you know the Bible says that you can be at peace with those people? What I think is interesting, you know that there are believers, believers that hate each other. Man, it's not supposed to be that way. How many of you think there's peace in hatred? You ever been really mad at somebody? I mean really mad. So mad you can't see straight. That's really a peaceful place to be, isn't it? That's my place of zen and peace. No. Hatred and peace don't go together. God gives you peace with Him so that you are able to be at peace with others. So if you are a believer and you are at war with someone else, it's your fault. You can have peace. Then look at what it says. So, peace with God, peace with others. Then Philippians 4, 7, familiar passage. Philippians 4, 7. Peace with God, peace with others, and you can have peace with yourself. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So here's the deal. I've asked you if you're saved. If you are saved, now don't raise your hand here. Is your heart at peace right now? Are you settled Now, here's the deal. Some of you, you're a dial tone. You know? You're never like this. You're never like this. Yeah, I'm at peace. No, you're dead. Some people are like, that's that's an insult. I'm sorry. You just look like you're dead. No. Um, Some people are like that. And what we can do is those who have that, that stable personality, yeah, I'm at peace. I must be spiritual. No, you were born that way. Okay, the rest of us people, you know, with pulses, the rest of us. We go through these periods of turmoil in our spirit. Why? Because we are living in our flesh, not accessing the peace that we can have inwardly in our hearts and in our minds that comes from Christ. Now, here's the deal. As I say that, man, I'm not, if you're going through something, you just lost a loved one, you've got other things going on, man, there's going to be turmoil in your heart. That doesn't mean that you're not right with God. Amen? The Bible says that we're supposed to, that we as believers, when we lose a loved one, we're supposed to sorrow, but not as those which have no hope. But we're still going to sorrow. There's that pain, there's that loss. That's not sin. Amen? That's not what I'm talking about. Now, if that hangs on, if you never get past that, that can become sin. How many of you understand what I'm talking about with that? But I'm talking about all the kinds of turmoil that we can have. God wants you to have peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He is our peace. Where He is, there is peace. Peace comes with Jesus. If you have Jesus, you can have that peace. All right, so let's move on. So the result of receiving the grace of God is peace. But in the New Testament, it's always grace first and then peace. Look at Romans 8, 7. 
Romans 8, 7. Because the carnal mind, okay, so carnal, that's fleshly. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So the mind that you were born with is at enmity. What does enmity mean? Hostility. Warfare. That is the natural mind against the mind of God. That's what the Bible says. Now, look at the result of that. The result of that is found in Colossians 1.21. Colossians chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse 18. Colossians 1.18. And he, speaking of Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and the Bible calls that, he was the first one to rise from the dead that way. All right? And so because of that, in all things, he should have the preeminence. He should be the highest one. Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime, now look what it says, alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled. So here's what that, that, that enmity made me an enemy of God. Jesus Christ dying on the cross, he, that allowed us to have peace with God. I was an enemy. So peace with God can only be had on his conditions. It's only after we're justified by faith that we can be at peace with God. And there can be no peace with others until there's peace with God. So let me ask you this question. Don't raise your hand. How many of you are struggling with someone else? You're struggling. Now, i got to tell you, there's some people I just don't like. There's some people I just look at them and don't like them. And what really messes you up is then when you talk to him and you find out you do like him, then you don't know what to do about your own perceptions. But in Christ, in Christ, I'm supposed to love him. Well, I love him, but I don't mean I have to like him. Yeah, how's that working out? It doesn't, does it? So in order for me to have peace with others, I have to have, first have peace with Christ. If I have peace with Christ, there is no reason for me to be at war with someone else. If I'm at war with someone else, it is not their fault. It's my fault. Now, if I'm going to have peace, it's got to be on His conditions. I've got to be saved. There can be no real peace with others until there's peace with God. But then, and this is where we're going to finish up. After I'm saved... Peace becomes a priority in my life.
I wonder if peace is a priority in your life. It hasn't been in mine. I kind of like being mad at people sometimes. Peace must be a priority. Let's find out what God says about it, okay? Look with me in, um, look in Romans 14. Romans 14. I should have said this earlier, but if you don't have a Bible with you, there's Bibles in the pew in front of you. It's hard to get much at Grace Baptist if you don't have a Bible with you. Um, look at Romans chapter 14 and verse 9. Romans 14, 9. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Um, What's that? Oh, okay. Look at verse uh, 9. For to this end... (laughs) For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this, rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. The Bible tells us that I am commanded, I am commanded to live my life in such a way that I don't cause someone else to struggle, to stumble, or to fall. The Bible tells us that we are supposed to, it's a command to make peace, to make peace, and follow after those things which make peace. Look at 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. (laughs) How's that for a command? And you understand that means to be mature, to be, you know, act act grown up. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. See, it's the command of God. It's supposed to be a priority. This peace must be a priority In my life. Look back at Romans chapter 12. I love the way that this passage says it. Romans 12, look at verse 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Isn't that a great verse? 
If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So sometimes we get out on there. If it be possible. But I just can't. You don't know her. You don't know him. I can't do it. Well, then look at what it says. As much as lieth in you. What's in you? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, in my own strength, there's some people I'm just not going to like. But when I actually, we go all the way back to the beginning. In my own strength, there are people that I will not be able to get along with. But as long as Jesus Christ is in me and I am hanging on to his crucifixion and I am living by grace, I can be at peace with that person through the power of Jesus Christ. How many of you moms have ever said, Lord, help me, I'm about to kill these kids? Right? You know, that's more than a saying. Not to kill the kids, the Lord help me. The Lord will help you. By grace, as much as lieth in you. Then, look at 1 Thessalonians 5.13. 1 Thessalonians 5.13. Well, let's look at verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Now look at this. And be at peace among yourselves. The Bible says, I am to be at peace with my brothers and sisters in the church. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hands. But let me ask you this. And the Holy Spirit knows whether you're telling the truth or not. Answer this to the Lord. Is there anyone here at church that you are not at peace with? The Bible commands you, the Holy Spirit of God through His Word is commanding you to be at peace in the church. I can't. You don't know what they did to me. What did they do to Jesus? What did they do to him? I can't do this. Well, look at Colossians 3.15. You say, I know I'm saved. Why then do I not have peace? I know I'm saved. Why don't I have peace? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. You say, I'm saved. These people are driving me crazy. I've got this turmoil that's in my spirit. I've got all this stuff going on around me. I know I'm saved. Why don't I have peace? Because you're not letting the peace of God rule in your hearts. How many of you have noticed that it's hard to have anger and peace at the same time? Right? Only one of them is ruling in your heart at that moment. 
It's hard to have bitterness ruling in you and peace at the same time. It's hard to have unthankfulness and peace rule in your heart at the same time. And here's the deal. We're not talking about the peace sign peace. You know, peace, man. That's not what we're talking about. And by the way, let me just throw this in. It's been so long since people actually told you what a peace sign is. Some of you are having your kids wear these peace signs. And, oh man, it's cool, it's in. It's a broken, upside-down cross. That's what the design of the peace sign was. It was it, it, it's, a, it's a horrible thing. Different message, but I just thought it would be good to tell you that. The peace that we're talking about right here is not this worldly peace where you don't stand for anything. No, it's the peace of God that is... You are, the Bible commands you to let that rule in your hearts. But it's hard to have God rule in your heart and you rule in your heart at the same time. There can only be one head. Anything with two heads is a monster. Right? Let the peace of God rule. You might want to mark that word rule in your Bible. And you might want to take this verse... And just meditate on it all through this week. When you go into that struggle, how many of you, honestly, how many of you, when you think about going to work tomorrow, there's some unsettling and some stress that comes up immediately? Would you raise your hand? Are there any people that are like that? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what you need to do? You need to let the peace of God rule in your heart. You'll be amazed at what happens when you go to work in that stressful situation with the peace of God ruling in your heart. You'll be amazed at the ability that God gives you to have discernment in that moment. The ability that God gives you to love in that moment. The ability that God gives you to shine for His glory in that moment when you're letting the peace of God rule in your hearts. Anybody believe God's Word? Just unbelievable. Okay. How do I do it? How do I let the Word of God rule in my heart? How does this happen? Let's finish this up with... Back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. How am I going to do this? Galatians 6. Verse 14. You're going to do it by clinging to His cross. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So you see what he's saying? What I do, whether as a Gentile or as I Jew, as a Jew, profits me nothing. The only thing that profits is a new creature. The, the, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. All right? So the only thing that profits is a new creature. Well, you didn't do that yourself, did you? Did you save yourself? No. Look at what it says. 
Verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with what? Your spirit. Amen. So how is the how am I going to have this peace? How am I going to let the peace of God rule in my heart? How am I going to do that? Only by grace. Only by grace. Only by holding on to the crucified Christ. Not glorying in what you do. The Apostle Paul says, Look, I could come in here and take off my shirt and show you the scars that I bear in my body. But it's not about me. Glory in the cross. Don't follow me. Follow Jesus. I'm not the key. I'm not the issue. Jesus Christ, His cross. And only that by grace. I want you to have the peace of God. I want you to have peace with God. I want you to have peace with others. I want you to have peace in yourself. That can only happen when the peace of God is ruling in your heart. It's tough to rule unruly people. Herding cats. You know? That's what your heart is. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's what your heart is. How in the world am I going to let the, the peace of God rule, be in charge of my heart? By grace, moment by moment, recognizing your weakness, dying to self, and hanging on to the cross of Christ. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your resurrection.